The Treasure of the Ancient King Part 1 The Forgotten Prince Chapter 3 Darkness had fallen outside the Bread Gorge Tavern, and several of its clientele had fallen asleep and were snoring loudly. Not that it had put Sir Rabron off from his story. This was one of his favourites. Our battalion had been sent to shore up a rotting fortress on the border between Hegikak and Daruth, he went on, which had been manned by a skeleton troop. That's a small group of soldiers, nigh a dead one, by the way, he noted. Being groundlings, it was not for us to ask the reason why, and instead we worried ourselves with the day-to-day -day struggles in the Dark Wheeled Land, praying our stay would nearly last longer than a few months. After his time in the Royal Order, Rabron had become a mercenary of sorts, and the two of us had worked together on many an undertaking. At the time when my deliveries business was reaching its height, if ever I got even the slightest whiff of something untoward, I would put the contract past his nose. Together, we carried out some of the most perilous assignments there were, arm in arm, brothers in jeopardy, as if each mission was our last bid for riches and glory. The result? My riches and his glory, more often than not. Me salvation came at the spring, Rabron announced loudly hoping perhaps to awaken some of his listeners for an important set-piece. A beacon message came yonder from the west, he said, glaring dramatically with his palm against his eyebrows, like a lookout examining the horizon. And happy for an excuse to skip the night-time watches, I volunteered myself to take horse and investigate, he explained. When I reached the beacon station, the signalman told me that the distress signal had come from a fort on the frontier, with the state of Freilena, which were there on the coast. Pleasingly, his croaky telling was prompting a distancing effect on the anxieties which had lately befallen me. It was like being a cat, stroked in front of a warming hearth, but at the same time, something else was stirring. Hidden in some secret depth, it was coming to life, like a furnace being stoked up to a roaring flame. I checked myself. Why were my emotions responding like this? Was it pure nostalgia? Perhaps. Rabron and I had been thick as thieves in our day, and I would count several of his tales as ones in which I had personally partaken. I considered Rabron's ageing features and sighed deeply. His face was wiggling incessantly as he rambled on at his loyal spectators. I found myself pondering whether, in the end, we'd actually made any meaningful profit of all our adventures together. I was thinking, perhaps it was time to take my leave. Undoubtedly, I was finding myself being carried along with some force by the vigour of my friend's unquenchable enthusiasm. It was just as in the old days. But the draw of an early night and the embrace of an overpriced pillow offered a tempting exchange for this hard wooden pew. And that is to make no mention of those pressures which was still laying heavily on my mind, the small matter of my crumbling commercial endeavours. 
Did anyone else recognise Rabran's words as more than just the warbling of an old crackpot squaddy? I wondered. A number still maintained their attention. The young warrior, Parthenia, was exercising her politeness, whilst being quietly incensed over Sir Rabran's frequent references to gallantry and horsemanship. But she did not seem to be in a rush to leave. It struck me as indulgent of Rabran to imagine that his audience had it in them to stick it out to the conclusion, and charitable of me to keep humouring him with my attention, as much as I was enjoying this reminder of my youth. No, it would take something better than that to keep me up past my bedtime, I concluded. So it was then, just as I was about to turn in for the night, that a peculiar listener caught my eye, and stopped me from making a quiet exit right there and then. The man, standing to one side of the gathering, leant up against a wooden couch. Tipping his head around from behind a wall, he wore a purple cap. Going up from it, the crown of the hat tapered together and flopped over forwards, so that its tip hung downwards in front of a pale and crinkly forehead. Completely motionless, he listened intently, even scribbling notes from time to time, and carried an incriminatingly vacant expression written upon his face. It was as if he wanted to say to anyone who might have spotted him, Please, don't mind me. When I arrived at the fort, Rabram went on, the officer in charge thanked me kindly for the speedy response and took the details of our battalion in Hedgecock. He neatly told me that the local constabulary had more than met the needs at hand and without any hesitation he bid me return to me station at once. The scanner, Rabran shouted. Dejected, I rode out past a line of local militiamen who were arriving at the outpost to offer their weapons for the fight, whatever that fight may have been. Many of them looked less than pleased to be called up and were being hurried by sergeants as they queued up outside the encampment. Rabran used his thick eyebrows to animate this angry memory. I looked into their eyes and cursed the fates. Surely as they watch me circle round them on me horse, they wish to be in me place, just as I wish to be in theirs. See, I would have given anything. Give me leg, just to stay for one more day, away from that godforsaken ice fortress at Hedgecock, and instead join them in their adventures. The mysterious old man in the purple hat was still attempting to hide his interest, and he was completely failing in the project, as he kept grinning to himself whenever Rabran did or said anything remotely eccentric. It was then that one of those bonny sergeants addressed me there, said Rabran. You there on the horse? Aye, that's what he said to me. Rabran stopped and lifted one leg onto a low table and stared directly at Parthenia. No, lassie, you've never seen anything like it. The man was decked out like a king. You name it. Badges, buttons, braids, breeches. Livery spread over his steed like creamy golden butter. Our inquisitive friend, who I had by now concluded, must be a sorcerer of some type, was beside himself, looking wide-eyed at Rabran as if he had seen a ghost. Something about what Rabran was describing had clearly piqued his wizarding interest. And to top it all off, he wore a great steel helmet, so large and so stiff, you couldn't hardly hear him speak through the grating. Sorry, sir? Yep, that's what he said to him. I said, you there on the horse. He spoke to me again, almost shouting to be heard. You bear the mark of the royal order. Can you handle a blade? 
on foot, I mean? A knight of the 56th Battalion, my lord, I said to him. Well, you can certainly handle a horse, he, he replied. I straightway recognised this were nigh commoner in disguise. Look, see, I was an experienced rider. I even then. And, well, it takes one to no one, as they do say. Sergeant Peabody is my name. I'll relieve you of your duties, good sir. You've been enlisted for the 32nd, he tooted. What else could I do then? But turn and follow him. This excerpt was read by D.A. Clark, the author of the piece. Please note that this is a draft and as such does not represent the quality of the final version. If you would like to find more excerpts, please visit anchor.fm forward slash David 908.